All right, let's get a smack. Three, two, one. Woo, that sounded right to me. Launching a theme song. Sounded great. Butters like other angry holes. Discuss. Discuss. Here we go. We're about to discuss Connecting the Classics. Welcome back to Connecting the Classics, where we know more than you know, but Lee knows more than I know. This is a music podcast where Will and I choose albums each week, and then from those albums, we start with our own choice, and we connect back to the other person's album, choosing one song off each album and using additional tangential references Kevin Bacon, Kevin style. Bacon style we also award each other points but the points don't matter whose line is it anyway style there's no more to be said you know more than I know so this week no theme I actually fired first here and I gave you Desmond Decker intensified um, a sort of legendary reggae ska album. Or I guess I'll say legendary in the sense, kind of one of the first, you know, international hits for reggae in Jamaica. And you fired back with. Yeah, I thought it was great. Heard of Desmond Decker, uh, knew a lot of his songs, but hadn't really sat down and listened to this album from front to back. So I thought it was a great choice. Uh, I've been to London. I've been on their Desmond Decker buses. But uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, minus five points. Just give an example of how you can subtract points. Uh, great line in uh, Desmond Decker. This didn't inspire me, but on the song The Israelites, which was, I think, one of the biggest hits, they got got the line, I don't want to end up like Bonnie and Clyde. So I fired back with a Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Raitt, self-titled debut from 1971, Bonnie Raitt. But we'll get into her in a second. I don't know, maybe we should start with... You want to kick it off with a little Desmond Decker? Let's kick it off. I debated whether or not I was going to do the big hit. Um, Which is what I definitely just mentioned, has sort right? of Yes, Israelites is the big hit that went international. I think it was a number one in the U.S. Uh, but I've, I'm going to go with Wise Man. Nice. Um, the whole album has a general theme, I think, of... Uh, a sort of religious backbone that I, that he has and you know songs about how Jamaicans can you know help their lives and avoid root boy culture so let's go with wise man Desmond Decker great choice because Bonnie Raitt has a song called woman be wise I, don't know I was thinking there. that's how we connect it done yeah one and done
So I'm curious if, you know, doing the research, you saw how much of a tie this Desmond Decker's career has to like Jimmy Cliff and uh, the mutual producer they had between the two of them, uh, Leslie Kong. You know more than I know. They're, so they're both on the me? same label, which I thought was interesting. Definitely got some similar sounds, but I think Desmond Decker is kind of considered sort of the first lead man, even ahead of Jimmy Cliff. But fascinating career. Uh, he was a welder, and his coworkers thought he sang so well while they were working that they encouraged him to audition for like the labels wow. in uh, Jamaica. Welding webs and here. So that's yeah, well, <laughs> so that's how he got involved with uh, uh, Leslie Kong, who's a Chinese Jamaican. Ooh, fascinating. That is interesting. And so, yeah, between Leslie and Jimmy Cliff, um, you know, he puts together this album. It goes international, and I think Jamaica kind of gets put on the map. Uh, so. Israelites is 1968, which is, I guess, considered kind of early for reggae. I, I don't really ever place that in my head as such. But I was wondering if there was a kind of an era when reggae kind of, I know like this around then is when it became popularized internationally, but I'm assuming uh -huh. it's kind of was just the sound of Jamaica. Is that right to assume? Yeah. Like it kind of evolved out of there. Yeah, I guess if, if we want to be technical, right? So there's ska is kind of the first genre. Um, to come out of Jamaica. So ska was before reggae. Yes. Uh-huh. First and wave I think ska. it goes ska. And then they slowed it rock down. Steady. They chopped and screwed it a little. Yep. You get rock steady and then reggae all kind of coming out of the late 60s. When I was listening to your album, it's part of the reason why I picked Bonnie Raitt is because, you know, this particular album, it's her debut album. I don't know if you want to jump over if you had more to say about it about um desmond decker but kind of on the same wavelength of like you know music didn't really start being recorded until the 40s and 50s as we know like in the form of albums where they were kind of recording what people would traditionally play live um i mm -hmm. thought both of these albums sort of had captured a feeling of you know, what traditional music might have sounded like. But then it is interesting, too, that Desmond Decker, like you said, became like a front man, internationally renowned guy. Um, so I was kind of wondering if there were any precursors to him in Jamaica or if it was just kind of, you know, more of a folklore tradition before he popularized it. Yeah, I think uh, he really just kind of got lucky. I think it was just the right timing of that hit Israelites uh, we talked about in past episodes how, you know, ska, rocksteady, and even reggae kind of come out of the sound system culture. Yeah. Uh, and coincidentally, I was reading that, you know, he was or originally auditioned for Cox and Dodd, who listeners look him up if you want. He's basically the guy that starts Studio One. That's the famous recording studio in Jamaica. Hmm. And Give you one point he got turned down. And then he also, you know, auditioned for Duke Reed, who ran one of the most popular sound systems at the time. So I think the the scene is definitely there, and I think he just kind of got lucky. Um, I do think this Leslie Kong is someone we should talk about again in a different episode because he was actually murdered. I think he died, or not, maybe he wasn't murdered, but he died in in uh, seventy one. So very 
Oh, wow. Much the beginning of Desmond Decker's career. Right when Bonnie Raitt's Cliff. album came out. Exactly. So, yeah, I think it was just uh, the right sound at the right time and kind of became the face of a scene yeah, internationally. Kind of like CTC, the right podcast at the right time for your ears right now. Yeah, we could talk more about him, too, when we get uh, to your pick at the end of the episode. So why don't we jump into Bonnie Raitt? Sounds good. So like I was saying, th- that was kind of what I was thinking about when I was listening to these two albums is just the origins of music and you know early recordings of traditions. I think Bonnie Raitt's album is kind of a good example of it because... Well, first of all, the reason I picked it is because a couple of days ago, my brother sent a text message to my family group chat and just said, happy birthday, Bonnie Raitt, born in Burbank. She's a badass because uh, <laughs> I currently now live in Burbank. I'm the Burbank teller. My name is Will Hagel, uh, music writer, music <laughs> enthusiast here with my co-host, Lee Robinson. Uh, some may call him, aka I might call him the Rhode Island scholar. It hasn't caught on, but Basically, he's the John Cale and I'm the Lou Reed. I mean, I'm the Lou Reed. No, I'm the John Cale and he's Lou Reed. It's disputed. (laughs) Um, Disputed. And on that text thread, my mom fired back. Definite badass. Saw her a few years ago at Wrigley with James Taylor. I didn't really know much about her, but I wanted to, you know, do some Burbank history. So I went back and was going through her discography. And this particular debut album, 1971, self-titled Bonnie Raitt, Bonnie Raitt. It's more like bluesy and folksy than what came later um like i saw sure. another group chat you sent her song what was the song you sent like from 1989 nick of time nick of time and that was the album that kind of got her popular made her really popular yep. and that was 10 albums into her career um but this one and she's in her 40s at this point right so when her debut came out she's 21 she has like some legendary blues musicians on it too like ac reed tenor sax player from chicago and Junior Wells, who we'll be getting to a little bit later, a harp player. But let's launch into one of the songs I liked a lot from it, Big Road. Got Junior Wells on harp. If I can't carry you, baby, I'm gonna get me someone else. All right, boy. Well, the sun is gonna shine in my back door. My back door. Chugging along. Yeah, I thought this album really captured just like blues as a live performance live as a tradition i read she uh recorded it in minnesota oh little junior wells here and this is a cover of a blues song originally recorded by tommy johnson um, a few of the other songs are also like, you know, renditions of blues songs by other artists like Robert Johnson and Buddy Johnson. So we got three Johnsons. Like I'm a woman who ain't got no place to go. 
Yeah, I was super impressed. So it's like not only just one type of blues, but she's kind of all over the map. Um, so it's like it's clear that she's familiar with the genre in a very like holistic way, which I think gets yeah. her a lot of cred. Um, I also think she plays not only guitar, but also piano on this album. I believe it. And I think but she's I only like 21, 22, which is pretty badass for... Yeah, she's 21 like Adele. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like she must have just like blown people away. Yeah, and like you said, like she does a wide range of different styles. And I think too, like at this point, 1971, like she's one of the people who grew up with the blues. I mean, obviously then it's like, we've talked about whitewashing of genres and Elvis yeah. and stuff like that, that like the blues throughout the seventies does get kind of whitewashed, but it's like by obviously by the industry and stuff too. And to the point where like junior Wells, who's a, you know, legendary musician had like, you know, makes money performing with white artists and stuff like Paul Butterfield blues band and Bonnie Raitt. But yeah, on the representation it, thing. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, she did a good job of including the like original musicians yeah and then and also obviously she's a woman so which is kind of rare in like a male dominated um industry at least so like you know and she talks about being a women, woman in the lyrics you know changing it from man to woman from the originals and got songs like mighty tight woman woman be wise any day woman finest loving man so um i think like you said like She's one of those people, kind of like Mavis Staples, who's still alive, been doing it for multiple decades and kicking ass along the way without maybe getting as much credit as she deserves. But we'll give her the credit here. We'll give her 10 points. Yeah, I, I love the pick. It was super interesting to contrast, like you were saying, where, you know, as her longevity of her career goes on, she, I think, continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, makes a different style of, of blues and country rock um, into the 80s and pop music. So um, tip of the tip of the uh, hat or jar or, or, you know, whatever else to Bonnie Raitt. And I think it's a great album that unlike Semisonic that we talked about last week, I think you should definitely go put it on both of these albums. I listened to them really early in the morning while I was kind of just making breakfast drinking a cup of coffee getting ready for the day driving around maybe and i feel like they're you know good mood setting albums yeah um coincidentally did remind me a little bit of um tom waits our album from last week for a closing time there was some of that piano boogie woogie style i thought in a few of her songs little americana yeah definitely so it is kind of, yeah, like country, folk, blues, like very traditional American sounds. Yep. Um, really quick, because Wikipedia knows more than we know. You know more than I know. Wikipedia knows more than we both do. Uh, one thing she said that Wikipedia says she wrote in the album's liner notes is, we recorded live on four tracks because we wanted a more spontaneous and natural feeling in the music, a feeling often sacrificed when the musicians know they can overdub their part on a separate track until it's perfect. So that wow. kind of makes sense that, you know, they were just going for that live feeling, which contrasts with her contrasts, not contrasts with her later stuff. Also, Bonnie's a great name. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we left off with 
or I guess my connections here. We left off with Desmond Decker. I chose Wise Man off of his album Intensified, which was my choice for the week. And Lee is uh, going into Connection One. <laughs> connection One. Uh, so I loved the story that, you know, he was singing on the job and his coworkers thought he sounded so good they encouraged him to uh, audition and start a music career. That immediately made me think of another musician who had a similar sort of work relationship, um, maybe not exactly the same, but this guy was working on assembly lines into his 30s while recording demos on his own money. And he eventually had a number one hit with Ain't No Sunshine, Mm. uh, but he was famously uh, decided to keep working his assembly line job because he thought the music industry was a fickle beast. So launching into the famous right. Bill Withers, Ain't No Sunshine. Nice. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's not a warm when she's away. Decided to go with the live version because I feel like his voice is so good. It actually no sounds like the studio. Gone. She's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. Wonder this time where she's gone. Wonder if she's gone to stay. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And this house just ain't no home. Anytime she goes away. Crazy how some people just have these natural singing voices that yeah. everyone's like, oh no, yeah, you're actually like the best singer of all of us and you should go be famous or make money off it. Or like, we will pay you to sing. Song produced by Booker T and the Mater D's. Leave the young thing alone, but ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Sunshine when she's gone. Only darkness every day. Ain't I'm standing no sunshine up. When she's gone. Lee stands every episode to give you behind no the scenes. Plus so I, I mentioned, uh, yeah, exactly. So I mentioned uh, he was still working. Uh, he was actually making bathrooms for 747s. And uh, when the song, when Ain't No Sunshine went gold, the record company presented Withers with a golden toilet seat. Wow, nice. So he kept working throughout his career. Uh, I don't know how deep into it, but yeah, there was, it's... Um, People love talking about how he was like still showing up for work, you know, making, working on 747s, even though he had a number one hit because he was just convinced that this could be a passing like trend Interesting. and, you know, he shouldn't quit his job. It reminds me of people say the same thing all the time about Ka, the rapper from New York who works as a fireman and uh-huh. he's like really critically acclaimed and has like a big fan base and he'll put out like a well-produced album every year at least but he just keeps working as a fireman and like that's great anytime there's like a write-up of him or people talk about him it's like did can you believe he's like working a regular job which is like 
I feel like there is something that we kind of expect artists to go all in on making music. Yeah. But there's, I don't know if it's respectable if someone works a job and makes music, but it's cool that it can be done. And like the idea behind it being that, you know, this could all blow away. So, yeah. And part of it, I think it was also he played into his sort of brand. So, Ain't No Sunshine is on an album called Just As I Am. And the album cover is like him with what I assume is like a lunchbox. He looks like he literally like is about to go out to lunch at his assembly line job. Uh, and it's got yeah. like hand scribbled track lists. So I meanwhile, feel like he Bruce really Springsteen. leaned into it. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Bruce Springsteen's never worked a day in his life, but he's just trying to convince <laughs> yeah. you on every song. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, writing the same song over and over again is actually uh, hard work. No, I like Bruce yeah, Springsteen. Working man's uh, musician. Yep. But anyways, yeah, I thought that was an interesting parallel with Desmond Deckard. Uh, I'll also quickly add that Desmond Decker um, met Bob Marley, who was a fellow welder, and also sort of scouted him out and encouraged him to uh, audition with labels. So wow. he, he claims to have sort of helped Marley's career, and Marley was indebted to him for that. You're welding so many webs right now. <laughs> All right, I'll pass it back. All right, and I'm heading into my connection one. <laughs> uh, I left off with uh, Bonnie Raitt and her rendition of Tommy Johnson's Big Road. Do you like that song? Yeah, I love that pick. Uh, yeah, so we're riding a big road of woven webs here. Uh, already kind of mentioned it. That song features Junior Wells on harmonica. Um, so we're launching in to another song by Junior Wells from his 1965 album. So this is six years before Bonnie Raitt. Hoodoo Man Blues featuring the Chicago blues band, which is Billy Warren on drums, Jack Myers on bass, and on guitar. You know who we got on guitar? Steve Cropper. <laughs> it's the Steve's episode, everyone. No, it's the Buddy's episode. We got the one and only Buddy Guy. Nice. Launching into Junior Wells' Ships on the Ocean. Getting off the big road and getting onto the open seas. Nice. But this song's not an open sea, it's in D minor. I, I have no idea what key it's in. So I'm guessing this is kind of the music Bonnie Raitt was inspired by, and obviously she. So is this talk, before talk about her record? Yeah, six years earlier. Wow. Amazing. So Junior Wells, talking welders, talking wells. <laughs> Born in Memphis. Raised around, you know, B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, like we've talked about on previous episodes. Probably saw Elvis at some point. Uh, known for singing and playing the harmonica. I'm holding up the vinyl copy of this album, Hoodoo Man Blues. Give you 100 points. 
on the back of it, he tells a story about, and actually, I did see it's also on Wikipedia, so Wikipedia knows more than we know. But he tells a story that he went into a pawn shop when he was a kid, and there was a harmonica that was $2. So speaking of working, he worked all week at a soda truck, and uh, he earned $1.50, and he went back, and the pawn shop guy wouldn't let him have it. Uh, Why? And then the, the guy, because he didn't have the two dollars, he only had a dollar fifty. Oh, oh. <laughs> and then the guy turned his back and he left the dollar fifty on the table and stole the harmonica. Wow. And then he went. He Rude got a, boy. <laughs> he he went to court for it, and the judge asked him to play his harmonica, and then they said case dismissed. No way. Let him go. That's amazing. So another example of, you know, people are just like, oh, you're too good at what you do. So we think you should just go do that. So the guitar player on this album is Buddy Guy, who is a, you know, similarly legendary blues player. Um, But on the original pressing of this album, he was listed as Friendly Chap. Because kind of similar to what you were saying about Desmond Decker having kind of a record producer who orchestrated the albums. Like this album was put together by a record exec named Bob Coster. And in Chicago at the time, there were like a few different record labels who were kind of trying to capture what was going on in the nightclubs of blues players and like a lot of musicians who had moved up from the South to Chicago, like Great Migration, and obviously, you know, invention of vinyl long playing records and stuff. So they were capturing mm-hmm. it. This guy thought that Buddy Guy had a contract with Chess Records, which is, you know, the record label where he would be a session musician and also release some solo stuff. So they, he, to avoid, you know, contract disputes, they listed Buddy Guy as friendly chap. Nice. Which I just thought, thought that was funny. Yeah, I feel like they did that a lot too, right? Probably. Blues players would have yeah. these like fake names. Also on the back of the vinyl pressing, it says, like jazz, the blues have their traditions, but undergo constant change as new emotional re- needs arise for both singer and audience. However, lyric and melody, subject matter and emotional content link the present with the past and future which I think is a great nice. parallel to CTC. Just, you know, yeah, music was a tradition of people just playing it, but the emotions and times change. And so it's always related to the context of when you're hearing it. So Junior Wells came out of people he was seeing performing live, and then it gets put onto records. And then people like Bonnie Raitt hear those records and then create their own thing. And then it just keeps going. And I feel like music has really, you know, by 2022 and we're recording this, music has re- reached this like ultra postmodern moment. I mean, it's been postmodern like since the 70s, 80s, you know what I mean? Of just like recontextualizing yeah. older sounds. Um, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, though. Save it for yeah. another episode. No, I'm with you. 
All right, pass it back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. I think um, that's that's when music's at its best. Uh, just like we've talked about in the past with BB King, that no one really owns music, and it should constantly be up for reinterpretation, recontextualizing, because culture is is constantly changing. So, and that's how it was early on until these records, which you know. CTC is all about the lost art of listening to albums. So we do appreciate the re- the album as an art form, but in some senses, like recording these traditions also led to a weird thing where of like copyright and stuff. Whereas, like you said, music is at its best when everyone can do it and we can play songs on a podcast without getting totally. sued. And to, you know, tie it back even more to, to Bonnie Raitt, you know, she starts with this such a clear love and passion for the blues. And, you know, that's not where her sound stays, you know. Right. So she welds webs and weld, I'm passing it back. Webs. All right. Great choice. Love the heart uh, player. I didn't realize that was who it was. Coming back to my connections, we had Desmond Decker, the welder, into Bill Withers the uh, bathroom assembly line person. Uh, so one thing I thought was super interesting is Bill Withers' first hit, uh, so this is right before Ain't No Sunshine, his first recorded song, I guess hits the wrong term, was produced by, arranged by, fan of the pod, Mort Garson. Didn't realize they mm. had a connection there. So going to launch into fan. Mort. Mort's a fan. Mort's a fan of the pod. We're a fan of Mort. Uh, we have a past episode talking about Mort's album, Plantasia. But I oh, okay. To, I know Mort. Yeah, Mark Carson. Decided to play uh, one of his unreleased songs that just came out, um, unearthed by a label, Sacred Bones. Launching in Mort Garson. This is my beloved. Great choice. His music is just so moody and amazing. Uh, has a really strong film background, so these pieces um, have this great mix of sort of orchestral score type pop music. Sounds like the soundtrack to the most peaceful video game of all time. Plant Crossing. Yeah. So Mort Carson famous for basically one of the first people to use a Moog synthesizer on the West Coast. Um, Moog got his start, I think, in Carolina. So he's on the East Coast, and he meets Robert Moog at a uh, convention and starts using his synthesizers. So super famous for pioneering, pioneering synths and strings. So is this all synths? 
and a little guitar. No, he's got a, a mix of guy. like guitar, bass, drums, and then synths. Obviously, it's the lead. this one guy jamming with himself though or is does he have a band i would guess he has a band uh, i think he probably arranged these pieces uh and he probably created them to be purchased by like studios uh this sounds very much like library music where you would yeah. you know make this song and you'd say this is what you'd play if you were trying to be x amount x emotion or whatever uh and so i think that's why it never got released but this music has become super popular because it captures sort of a moment in time where like, you know, it's kind of funky, has this like synth influence that's uh, just a cool blend. But yeah, I'll also add Mort Garson. I think we talked about this last time we talked about him. His music was played during the moon landing during the broadcast, which is kind of cool. Like in the background as... They were staging, yeah, yeah. as they were staging since that, that thing. They sounded so futuristic, yeah, when they were staging it. When they were with the twelve Stanley, tribes of Israel. Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick was filming that. Yeah. Um, well, all right. I'll pass it back to you. All right. Perfect time to talk about conspiracies. Uh, we left off with Junior Wells and the Chicago Blues Band playing "Ships on the Ocean." Going here into my second connection, connection to uh, Buddy Guy, as I was saying, appeared on the Hoodoo Man Blues album as Friendly Chap. So connection here is another artist who released music under a pseudonym or a different alias than what they were originally popularized as. And talking Tupac, talking Machiavelli. This is me and my girlfriend. Nice. Wow, Bonnie and Clyde. Talking Bonnie. It's double connection. So this is one of those songs that obviously you know what he's talking about right sex well this is one of those songs that's like you know, it sounds like he's talking about a woman or whatever, but he's actually talking about his gun. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but definitely as yeah. when I was a kid, I, was, I feel like that's the only reason I like this song. So I was like, well, did you know? So I could um, bust that Nos out Nas has people. something similar, right? 
Yeah, and I, I actually didn't realize apparently some other rapper claimed that he wrote this almost as like a diss song against Nas because there are a couple other songs on this album that were kind of about inspired by Nas making him mad, but I guess they were friendly in the end. Uh, but yeah, this came out on his album that was released like a few weeks after he died, which, you know, talking conspiracy theories, I think there's even a new show called like Who Shot Tupac or something. It's one of those yeah. things that people will always care about. Thought of this song because he talks about Bonnie and Clyde. And there was a whole like later song using that hook, right? That's the other thing is because we were talking about kind of, you know, riffing on traditions or like covering other artists' songs. So I feel like coming from the 70s up into the 90s, where it's like at this point, you know, hip hop came about in the 80s, transformed music, and then it became really commercial, like with Tupac and stuff. And then after this, you have Eminem makes 97 Bonnie and Clyde, which is another like just i i was listening i'm not gonna play it but i was listening to that song and it's just so ridiculous like i feel like i need to bang the gavel and defend eminem because everyone hates on eminem now because he's gotten kind of like corny in his old age in defense of eminem yeah but just that song is just so sinister because he's talking about like you know murdering kim or whatever I also give a shout out to my friend uh, Justin Lane, who's a stand-up comedian, and he has a joke about how uh, like Eminem has gotten so bad that he started siding with Kim. Yeah, which I think is hilarious. I'll probably edit that out. Um, and then Jay Z and Beyonce in 2003 made yeah uh, 03 Bonnie and Clyde. So uh, just you know saying how music kind of continues to be riffing on earlier stuff. And Tupac was uh, rapping as Machiavelli for this album. Which I don't really know why. I'm sure some of our listeners probably know way more about that than me. Look for me, lost in the whirlwind. 96 Bonnie and Clyde, me and my girlfriend. 285 when we ride, dropping this water set. Born as a ghetto chap, raised in this whirlwind. Look for me, lost in the whirlwind. 96 Bonnie and Clyde, me and my girlfriend. But what I do know is this is a use of personification in music. Look for me. A literary device. Making his gun into a woman, into his girlfriend. Pass it back. Love it. What a classic hit. I didn't actually remember that about the gun. Give you 100 points for that. It's hey, a huge piece, of, huge piece of musical history. Hopefully we can get your uh, in defense of Eminem. Well, also like really quick on Tupac. I feel like he's one of those artists where people our age, like early 30s, we kind of grew up where, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, the best rapper of all time is Tupac. Like Tupac and Biggie are, you know, the top two uh-huh. best ever. 
Whereas I feel like now no one necess- people knows. People maybe still think that, but it's not as automatic, I don't think, for like a young teenager right now to say that. They're like the California love guy. Yeah. They're like, that was 50 years ago. All right. We were talking about Mort Garson, arranger of Bill Withers' first recorded song. And I also didn't realize he had an association with the Smothers Brothers. Wow. Smother Brothers. Sorry. Do you know who that is? Early comedians. Yeah, so they're a comedic duo. I had actually never heard of them, but I um, did a performance at my brother-in-law's wedding a couple weekends ago, and someone came up to me afterwards, one of uh, my wife's uncles, and said that our performance reminded him of the Smothers Brothers. (laughs) Um, So I thought it was interesting. That's That's perfect for a wedding. To work them into uh, the episode. So I guess Tom, one of the brothers, Tom Smothers, wrote the liner notes to one of Mort Carson's albums. Wow. Uh, so let's go ahead and launch into, so basically they're, yeah, they're a comedic duo. Like you mentioned, they had a variety show or a comedy hour, uh, much like CTC is a musical radio hour. Mm. Um, and a lot of times they got into controversy. They, they're very much into sort of satire, uh, and gags. Not to be confused uh, with mainly, the Sklar brothers. Yeah, exactly. Mainly ripping on their their big three targets were racism, the president of the United States, and the Vietnam War. So um, the choice I have for you today, though, is a spoof of a Broadway song. Um, this is Smothers Brothers. Let me get the exact t- title here. They Call the Wind Maria. This is a live performance as well. We should do a musical comedy episode. That actually pretty pretty great. The rain is Tess, the fire is Joe, and they call the wind Mariah. Mariah, sorry. That's the clouds to fly in. Mariah makes the mountain sound like folks was up there dying. Mariah, Mariah, they call the wind Mariah. Before I knew She had me, and the sun was always shining. Ah, 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 ah. So you can tell they're obviously musically talented, and uh, you know they would inf- infuse humor into their acts. Uh, but this wasn't supposed to be funny, right? Uh, I think this actually is a serious version of it. Uh, a lot of times when they would go on like Ed Sullivan or something, they would kind of have these little bits that would either interrupt the songs or abut either ends of the songs. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe that was the reference to why my wife's uncle thought we were reminded of them because we would kind of do these sincere pieces of advice and then we would kind of have these like bits. Were you doing like a sketch or were you just going back and forth, just joking and I was playing guitar and oh, nice. so we were asked to give advice on marriage. And so we were kind of, I was playing guitar in the background and we were giving like, you know, sincere things. And then we're doing like kind of tongue in cheek type, like uh, one bit was give massages was like the piece of advice. And then I would come in and I'd say to your partner. <laughs> That's great. You know, I got to say kind of like, the welders who told Desmond Decker and Bill Withers to go sing because they were the best around. I feel like you got a talent for that kind of, you know, quick little musical sketches. And I think you should go pursue your dream. Or we should just start. You should start playing bass during Let's do it. the classics. Let's be a, a comedic duo. We'll take this on the road. Yeah, I think we started out with during Connecting the Classics. You know, we're just coming we did it live. instruments. We, uh, we did CTC live and I thought it played well. That's true, but we weren't standing when we did it live and I'm standing now and I think it's actually taken my... It's really nice. My game to a whole new level. All right. I think I'm going to go on a quick run here. I know um, I'm gonna sit all down. I've got left is my Bonnie Rayet track, but uh, I just feel like it's a connection I want to keep, keep moving here. So the reason I was connecting Smothers... Smothers Brothers back to Bonnie Raitt. Uh, they were a big influence on her when she was like a child. She said that she would go to summer camps and she'd learn folk songs. Uh, and I think her father was actually a Broadway singer. So I think them singing songs like They Called the Wind Mar Mariah uh, was also sort of uh, part of why she was you know, into them as a band. So I'm going to jump into Bonnie Raitt here. Oh, going straight I, to body rate. And this is actually the song I liked a lot was didn't sound like a lot of her other albums, but this is or a lot of her other songs. But this is Thank You, which is just a beautiful soul song. I'm going to say a little force force in the run a little bit, but I'm going to give you minus five for force in a run. I just feel like this song shouldn't end the episode. And it does kind of relate to the one we just heard. So I'm going to give you three points back. Great singer. Yeah, I just feel like this song further enforces the diversity of like her background and the, the genres that she was influenced by. Um, you know, she's playing folk songs at summer camp and then 
read that she got her start opening for Mississippi Fred McDowell, which is a huge like Delta Blues legend. So yeah, I think she was just a super talented musician who loved music. Got started at summer camp and recorded this album at a abandoned yeah. summer camp in Minnesota. <laughs> she also was a Quaker, or her parents were a Quaker. I don't know if you knew oh, that. Oh, I didn't know that. So she was super tapped into kind of like social justice and pacifist movements because that's a big part of Quakers, Quakerism. I thought I saw something like she had a tumultuous ch- uh, childhood because her dad was like an actor. And yeah, he was she, constantly like in Broadway and stuff. Yeah. And then she became like an alcoholic and ended up, you know, recovering and stuff. So yeah, she had a I, rock star I read, career. Yeah, she definitely did. She said she was inspired that Stevie Ray Vaughan was able to become sober and played even better than before. So yeah, this song's dedicated to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Thank you. <laughs> When I was looking up to some other names that came up were like John Prine, John Hyatt, stuff like that, which I, I don't know why, but I think that's interesting because there's a lot of like names like that that will probably kind of get lost to the sands of time on the big road. You know what I mean? Yeah, hopefully not John Prine. Uh, but I don't know who John Hyatt is, so that's already happened. I only know him because I got a record of his once randomly. I almost did a con- uh, connection between Bonnie Raitt and John Hyatt because their last names look similar. H- they both have two Ts. H- R. <laughs> nice. Um, but since you went on that unnecessary run, that leaves me back at my connection three. And <laughs> we left off with Tupac as Machiavelli going from Buddy Guy as Friendly Chap uh, we were on me with me and my girlfriend, which talks about Bonnie and Clyde. So that leads me into a song we've already mentioned, "The Israelites," another song that mentions Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, not going to listen to Desmond Decker yet, though, because I'm only on connection three. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to make a pit stop over in London, where the double decker bus, double Desmond Decker buses are, with okay. a little band who was inspired by Desmond Decker. You know who I'm talking about? The Beatles. By the way, we don't plan this. Talking about... Oh, bloody! (laughs) Launching in to The Clash live performance on All Right Now in 1979, the year of punk. They go into their song what's that song called something war hate war no war no hate war and hate hate and war you know it you love it from their self-titled debut like bonnie Raitt's self-titled de- debut so we're going to hear a little bit of that and then we're going to fast forward to their cover of the israelites launching in we are going straight nice now to watch the clash eight years after bonnie Raitt. Hate and more. Minus five to me. So we're going to fast forward here in a second, but this is love like this connection. One of their big songs. And if you watch the video, because this is live on TV and it's just like 
a bunch of, you know, punks in 1979 in England, like crowded into each other, just like nodding their heads and slamming yeah. into each other. And they're like pretty sloppy performance and stuff. Uh, but obviously the Clash were really influenced by Jamaican music. So like some of their songs will be a little ska or reggae. Well, so the reason I brought up the Beatles is I read that, uh, you know, the character Desmond and Obladi Oblada is a reference to Desmond Decker, who had oh, just wow. uh, toured the UK. And so the Beatles were like inspired by him. I actually, I guess Jamaica, I'm assuming, was like a British colony. Yeah, it was. So that uh, Desmond probably, Decker yeah. moved. He moved to the UK eventually. So that's a connection between those two. They're both islands. The UK and Jamaica. Yeah. But always, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, though. It is amazing just how Jamaica developed like such a unique sound that really fits in with island culture that even then you have like Jawaiian music and Hawaii and stuff like yeah reggae just so here's the cover of the Israelites nice <laughs> very yeah. crunchy version of it So I think The Clash was probably obviously influenced by Desmond Decker and then probably helped spread Desmond Decker and other Jamaican artists to like British audiences. Well, this is probably like on the radio when they were growing up. Yeah. Got Joe Strummer singing on this one. Nice. And like this song calls for bass vocals, which is interesting. Like that background, the oh, which like fits Love with a lot of bass part. punk songs. Very you know? like gospel. Well, even punk music, I feel like incorporates that with like gang vocals. Yeah. And like the whole crowd can yell along. So I guess I can't remember who bites whose legs, but someone like goes around the stage during this performance biting someone else's legs in the bands. Oh my gosh. So I mean, yeah, like like I said, nineteen seventy nine, heat of the punk moment. Uh just mm-hmm. wanted to stop at the clash, but now I'm going on a uh unwanted run <laughs> to my fifth connection. Uh, I've connected weaving webs, welding webs from Bonnie Raitt and now ending up at Desmond Decker mentioning how you know Jamaican music gives you that feeling of a time and a place in the islands I thought there was nothing better on this album than at doing at accomplishing that than coconut water nice 
Jamaica, 1968. I should never give that I thought this had a very Calypso feel to it. So Jamaica got independence in 1962. And this is 1968. Love the background singing. This hook would be like a great advertisement for coconut water. Yeah. If it hasn't been already. Because it really gives you, you know, nothing more refreshing than having water from a coconut on a hot beach. Sure. So when are we going to talk about Kyrie Irving? <laughs> Well, stay tuned for the next two hours. We're locking in. Um, we're pounding the gavel, talking about the Israelites. So all I could find was that uh, they think that Desmond Decker called it the Israelites because of the like Rastafarian association with 12 tribes of Israel. But I'm not sure he ever said why he chose the Israelites as the name. Has he ever released a public statement on why he named this coconut water yeah (laughs) I think it's kind of clear though that like you said the people like the clash were probably hearing the Israelites on the radio and maybe having no idea what he was really talking about in that with like Rastafarian ideals or like even talking about the tribes of Israel and Uh all of that stuff that's in the news right now. I think coconut water is going to become my new mantra for meditation. Love that. Also, Desmond Decker was on Harder They Come soundtrack. I don't know if we talked about that. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a great soundtrack. I uh, love so that. Him and, Jimmy Cliff on there, too. Jimmy Cliff. Um, both helping each other. Really quick, I just want to read an email that we got from a listener. Whoa. Uh, it's actually a follow-up from a previous episode of Gordy, who gave us an email with some tips for episode theme ideas. And one of them was songs my music my dad loves and we were yeah, wondering what, what music his dad loves he yeah said, what does he love btw my dad loves jazz acid rock bossa nova the celtic woman and folk and i think that's that might be worth an episode 
music All right, Gordy's let's do dad it. likes. Let's figure out what Gordy's dad loves. We'll Venmo Gordy $1 if we do it. So see you next time.